Personal day of prayer for the persecuted church. It is always a good and, and right thing for us to turn to the scriptures, to turn to the word of God when we think about persecution. I appreciated yesterday morning the men who were able to gather for our discussion time on persecution and just the, the directing of our thoughts and how even though there's a sense in which we cringe and there's a sense when we want to pull back and there's even some measure of hope, well, maybe these things will not really come upon me. The reality is we go to the Word of God and we see the Word of God in regard to the people of God and particularly in regard to persecution. And we see they go together, don't they? It's always been the case that where there have been a righteous people, that there have been an unrighteous people who were there to persecute. And we certainly would see that. Thank you, brother. We certainly would see that in no clearer a place than in the life of our Lord Himself, Jesus Christ. I'm doing something a bit different this morning. I normally do preach expositorily from one particular text. I'm not going to be doing that this morning. I'm preaching more of a topical message um, on persecution. And focusing today just simply on reminders, things to be remembered in light of persecution. So we're going to be looking actually in three places this morning. Three different scripture texts. But help to give us something of a perspective. You don't have to turn here. I want us to keep in mind this verse from Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 12. And that is where Paul says to Timothy. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There it is in a nutshell. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So it is in that light that the word of God has forewarned us that if we are going to live godly in Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters around the world are going to live godly in Christ Jesus, we as well as they will be persecuted. It's part of the course. And so keeping that in mind, that God's people will suffer and do suffer persecution, the things that the scripture calls us in that context to remember as we think about persecution. First of all, I want to direct your thoughts to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Our key verse of reference there is going to be verse 20 because there we find the words coming forth from the lips of Jesus Christ himself. Remember, and that's going to be our key word, going to make it simple today. Scripture says to remember some things and, and here Jesus himself says, remember something. But to help us with the context, we'll look back all the way to verse 18. If the world hates you. You know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, and here, of course, Jesus speaking to his disciples, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. So here, as we look at this text in John chapter 15, just be reminded of where we are here. This is the evening of Jesus' betrayal and his arrest. The final hours of of preparation for his disciples before he is taken from them. And the one clear issue of instruction that he gives them in this particular portion is how the world responds to them. The relationship that they are going to have with the world, how they will interact with the world. It comes on the heels of how they are to relate one to another, marked by love in chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. And their relation that they had to the world will be marked by this, in contrast to the love that the people of God have one for another, the relationship that the people of God have with the world is, it will be marked by hatred and rejection. That's the mark of the disciple of Jesus Christ in the world. The world hates them. The world rejects them. But what's the basis of that? What is the basis of the world's hatred for them? And Jesus very clearly points it out. The basis of that hatred for them is because of their identification with Him. Because they are identified with Jesus Christ. Verse 20, the last portion of the verse says, if, or the last part says, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We go together and the world treats us the same because they see the same thing. They see righteousness. Shining against their sin. And the world hates that. The world hates believers because the world hates Jesus Christ. And then down in verse 21. But all these things they will do to you. Why? For my name's sake. They will do this to you. Begin because you reflect me to them. And just as the world has hated me. The world likewise will hate you. The world did, in fact, hate Jesus, didn't it? Verse 18. The world hates you. You know that it has hated me before it hated you. And we say, well, what about those who in the Old Testament saints didn't, weren't they hated first? Well, perhaps first in history or first in time, but they were hated first because they represented righteousness and and because they represented God. So Jesus was hated certainly when he came in his humanity, but Jesus was hated as a part of the divine trinity as long as there's been a fallen man. How was Jesus treated? Look very quickly. There are a few verses in John. John chapter, John chapter five. <clears throat> After here, Jesus had done a healing at Bethesda, and back up with me if you'd like to verse fourteen. Jesus found him in the temple said to them, Behold, you've become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And there's verse 16. 
For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus being persecuted in chapter 8, verse 59. John chapter 8. Again, back up just for a few verses for context. The verse 57, the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Again, hated, rejected, and a desire here, an attempt here to stone him. Chapter 10, verse John chapter 10, verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Pretty simple, isn't it? Then 11, chapter 11, verse 57. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize him. Jesus hated, Jesus persecuted by the world. And Jesus tells the disciples that they have been chosen by him out of the world. You don't belong there anymore. If you were the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. You don't belong there. So Jesus' instruction in the midst of this teaching comes to that word that word there in verse 20. And that is this, remember. You remember. Remember the word that I said to you. And here's that word. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You see, this was not Jesus here coming on this last night after they have committed themselves to following him. This is not Jesus coming to them and throwing a new teaching at them. This is Jesus saying to them, remember. I'm reminding you of something that you have heard me say much earlier before. In fact, we could find all the way back in Matthew chapter 10 as Jesus sent out the disciples into the, into the, the cities around there. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. Here it is. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. So here's the teaching he's reminding them of. I've told you this before. Remember the word that I told you before. And we're looking at it right here. Then verse 25. It is enough. For the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? So in other words, Jesus says that they've called the head of the house Beelzebul, which is him. They're going to give him a name like that. How much more will they malign the members of the house? Listen, if there is no reluctance on the part of the enemies of Christ to malign him, to attack the Lord, there is much less reason to hesitate to attack those who follow him. You're way down on the totem pole. If they're not afraid to attack the head, don't think for a moment they won't attack the body. But it is enough. It is enough. 
Jesus said, for the disciple to become like his teacher, the slave like his master. That's our joy. It's not escaping persecution. It's not having a life of pleasure and ease. Our joy is this, that we are being conformed more and more to the likeness of Christ, so much so that the world sees it and they hate it again in us. That's enough. So in summary, the rejection by and hatred from the world is not to be unexpected. We have been forewarned, even as the disciples were warned in their day, of persecution, of rejection, and of hatred. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. I've been working through the Beatitudes with the children in Sunday school last month. As we went through just that last one, blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Turn with me, Matthew. I hear you flipping all. You're already there anyway, right? Blessed are you, verse 10, for those who have been persecuted for what? For the sake of righteousness. The word blessed there means happy, joyful, it can be rendered, there is actually no verb. We have the word are, or be blessed here. The word, the verb's not in there. It can actually be rendered, oh, the joy. Oh, the joy of those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he goes on and he makes this particular one personal to, the, to those who are here and to the disciples. Blessed are you. It's one thing to speak about the persecution. Oh, how happy are those who are persecuted as long as it's somebody else, right? Let them be happy. Now, Jesus says, no, no, blessed are you. Blessed are you when people insult you. That may be as far as it goes here in our culture. But we don't even like that, do we? I mean, if somebody looks at us cross-eyed, says some word that halfway makes us feel bad, we're ready to crawl back under a rock, aren't we? Bless you when people insult you. We've got too much reputation at stake here, don't we? And persecute you. And falsely say all kinds of evil against you for this reason. Because of me. Because you are mine. Because the life that you are demonstrating and the words that you are speaking are my words. It is my life being revealed and the world hates you for it. And Jesus makes the the same application we just jumped to, doesn't he? Here's what I would do. Rejoice. (laughs) All right? We jumped to that one. Oh, you didn't have to tell me that. Yeah, we did. That's the last thing we would do, isn't it? To rejoice and be exceedingly glad. That's the King James BCNASB here. Exceedingly glad. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. You want to live earthly rewards? You can do that. That's all you get. Right? The warnings of Matthew chapter 6 of, of doing deeds of righteousness to be seen by men. You have your reward. That's it. You want the reward of praise of men? You get it. But your reward is in heaven. It's great. And Paul talks about the light afflictions for that weight of glory that awaits us. That the light afflictions of this world, are, they're not worthy to be compared to that weight of glory. That God desires to give to us. Then he goes on. In the same way they persecuted the prophets 
who were before you. This is the way the enemies of God have always treated the people of God. You're in good company. So remember, Jesus' warning. You will be rejected. And it is remembering Jesus' words. Remembering Jesus' warnings here. First of all, it removes the element of surprise. Don't be surprised. That's what Peter tells the saints here. He says, don't be surprised this fiery ordeal that comes upon you as though something strange is happening. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Because you know what can happen if you're taken by surprise, you're taken off guard? It can set us back, can't it? So he's just saying, I don't want you to be taken by surprise. I don't want you to have to deal with, when persecution comes, you're having to deal with questions like, what am I doing wrong here? This isn't right. You don't have to deal with those questions. If you're living godly for Christ Jesus and you're being persecuted, everything's okay. Alright? Don't be taken by surprise. But it also, it reminds us of Jesus' example. We remember the words of Jesus. You remember Jesus Himself. And it reminds us of His example of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. I've got you looking everywhere this morning. I know that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. For consider Him. Consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself. You're starting to waver in this thing? Listen, the most righteous man that ever lived on the face of this earth, he endured far greater hostilities against him. You consider him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Listen, if this is just about me and you, we'll lose heart. But if it is about someone greater than us, if it is about Christ Himself and considering what He has done, what He has endured, we can press on. Considering Him, our eyes fixed on Jesus back in verse 2 of chapter 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, considering Him so that we do not grow weary and lose heart. Not only does it remove the element of surprise and reminds of His example, it also redirects our own focus that there is that great reward in heaven. Folks, it's not here. God's goal is not to make us nice and comfortable here. God's goal is not that everyone be a homeowner and have a two-car garage and and a dog. That's not His goal. The reward for the people of God is in the life that is yet to come. It is heaven. Whatever blessings we receive in this life, thank God for them. I'm glad to have a home and a one-car garage. don't have a dog. I don't particularly want one. But all the blessings that God gives to us that are good, that we receive even... I just shared with my kids... Yesterday, just the blessing that we have by virtue of the fact that we were born in the United States of America. Instead of somewhere else. How many blessings that God pours on the peop- His own people in this because we live here. He doesn't love us any more than the people that are suffering every day for the cause of Christ. doesn't love us any less. We give thanks for those blessings. But folks, this world is not our home. 
Our reward is not how much money we've got in our bank account. Our reward is in heaven. And to have our hearts and our minds set upon that. Remembering Jesus' word removes the element of surprise, reminds us of his example, and it redirects our focus to heaven. I want to be heaven-minded. Remember Jesus' warning. Following Christ is costly, isn't it? There is a price. Count the cost. Expect the world to reject us and to hate us. In fact, to be surprised, perhaps alarmed, if it does not. You know, if the world can cozy up to us too much, there's a problem. To follow in Jesus' footsteps, to live for the pleasure of God and not men, and to have our eyes focused upon eternity rather than on the temporary comforts that we so often long for. Remember Jesus' warning. Persecution is part and parcel for the people of God. Second thing I want to consider is remember Jesus' witness. And I'm already there, Hebrews chapter 13. Jesus witnesses, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 13. Remember Jesus' witnesses. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3. And this is a verse that many of those organizations that work with the persecuted church remind us of. And that is this, remember the prisoners. Here's the word, remember. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. And those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. What is my obligation? What is my responsibility as a believer for fellow believers who suffer for the cause of Christ? The reality is that we often forget our responsibility to our brothers. If we're doing okay, not a whole lot in mind. I'll share with you again because I look around and I see different people than I saw a year ago. that every year don't I Uh, share with you something of what the Lord did in my own heart to simply awaken me to the persecuted church I was in absolute ignorance and oblivion and when I was in seminary at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis one of the chapel services and I believe it was probably this time of year uh, one of the chapel services was on the persecuted church and I was I was awakened to reality of what our brothers and sisters in Christ are enduring around the world. But one of the things that stirred me the most from going to that chapel service because was the simplicity of it was this. What the persecuted church is asking of us. They're asking us to pray. The first request is not money. The first request is not, get us out of this. The first request is not, would you impose upon the government of the United States, put pressure upon our governments, and I think there's a place for that, and it's appropriately applied in place. But that's not their first request. Their first request is, pray for us. And I left that chapel service with one thing in mind, that was this. I can do that. You know, I'm not going to be able to send millions of dollars and to offer a lot of help, but... Man, I can pray for these people. And I determined right then 
that I would pray for the persecuted church and I would also do anything in my power in pastoring the churches wherever I was that we're going to be reminding, keep before us that people, brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are being persecuted daily for Christ. They're being put to death. There have been more martyrdoms in this century than all the previous centuries combined for Christ. And all they're asking us to do is to pray We can do that, can't we? And that's why we do it. That's why I do it. That's why I direct this to you. Every Lord's Day, we pray for some measure of the persecuted church. And that's why we take this day once a year to focus upon the persecuted church. They ask us to pray. So, we pray. That's our responsibility. Here, the writer of Hebrews Addressing a people who have experienced persecution. They've known what it is. They have a history of persevering and enduring in trial. Look back with Hebrews chapter 10 very quickly. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 32 and following. To give you some idea of the people here that the writer of Hebrews is, is, is writing to. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32. But remember the former days... When, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. They've got a good track record. You have been humiliated because of what you have done, but also because you've been willing to identify with others who have been suffering for the cause of Christ. Verse 34, you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. They have a record, don't they? Became shares with those who were so treated. In verse 33, they showed sympathy to the prisoners there in verse 34. But something... Is happening. Here the writer. I don't personally think Paul wrote Hebrews. If you think he does. That's fine. But. There's something here that the writer fears. As he writes this letter. To the saints. That there is a wavering in their confidence. That those who had so readily embraced the gospel of Christ at one point, And likely these being believing Jews. They've come out of, out of Judaism. And because of the suffering and because of the relentless nature of the persecution. In other words, it doesn't go away. Things are not getting better. That there is a wavering in their confidence. And there's this this tendency to become self-protective. And they're weakening in their demonstration of care. For fellow believers, those who are imprisoned, being ill-treated because of the gospel, it's, it's almost become a, 
the mentality of, I've got to think about myself here. At least that's what the writer fears is at least possible. So we come to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1. And what's the exhortation that the saint gives, that this writer gives? He says, let love of the brethren continue. Don't let it wane. Don't let it disappear. Don't let it be extinguished by the fires of persecution and trials and difficulties. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not abandon the mark of discipleship of Jesus Christ. Which is what? What did Jesus say? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Let love of the brethren continue. This is what separates you from the world, that you show love one for another. Then in that light, remember verse 3, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated. Partaking of their suffering, sacrificing resources as they suffer, you're willing to suffer. As they go without, you're willing to go without. And what's the reason that he states there in the last part of verse 3? He says, since you yourselves also are in the body. You're in the body there in the body, you are members one of another. This is how members of Christ's body, members of the church, care for one another. We recognize that we have various gifts and various resources, and we come to minister one to another with what resources we have. Supplying what may be lacking to one. Encouraging one another. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. Weeping with those who weep. This is the body of Christ. Remember them. And so as we think of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are sacrificing so little, remember them. Because you're part of the body of Christ just as they are. Those who are in prison, those who are mistreated because of Christ and His gospel must not be forgotten. Remembering Jesus' witnesses. By doing so, it is, gives strength and encourages those who are in battle. The words is just simply knowing. The words that come to the ears want you to know that there are people around the world praying for you. You know, how many times I've shared with you just how those words have come to my ears. Somebody will call me on the phone or email. Hey, Randy, what's going on? We're praying for you guys down there at Cornerstone Chapel, Bristol, Tennessee. We're just praying for you. That's a great encouragement. Somebody email or some people I don't even know who they are. I got an email from a couple of guys. I don't know who they are. We're praying for Cornerstone Chapel. Praying for you, it's the pastor. There's great encouragement, isn't there? Know that people pray. So it does that. Remembering them, it validates the genuineness of, the, of Christianity. That it is love one for another. To say that we are disciples of Christ and we fail in the chief, chief description that Jesus gives of love of one another. There's something wrong there. 
it also demonstrates spiritual unity that we are one body in Christ. We're one. There is one church of the Lord Jesus Christ, a universal church around the world. It isn't just us. And we identify with those brothers and sisters around the world, one with them in Christ. So let us remember Jesus' suffering witnesses. Those who are in prison, those who are ill-treated, because we're in the body. They are our brothers. They are our sisters, just as much as we see one another here face to face. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. To show that we truly belong to Jesus by loving one another. Pray. Pray. Be informed. Be informed of what's going on in the persecuted church. If you haven't noticed, we've got stacks of books. Take them and keep them. Voice of the Martyrs books, books and magazines from uh, International Christian Concern, three or four groups back here. Take that stuff. Get informed. You have internet access. You've got no excuse. Get on one internet. Get on one internet uh, website and just follow the links. Go to our website, the church's website. We have at least three links to to persecuted church organizations. Be informed. I've given you this sheet this morning in your bulletin. This is not to be kept in your Bibles as a, as a bookmark for the next ten weeks. To be a guide, to let you see. And these are current. This was done particularly for the International Day of Prayer this year. This was going on in these days. That we can pray for our brothers and sisters around the world with some degree of, of understanding of what they are enduring. Some praying for the church here. Some Praying for the nations where the church is being persecuted. Be informed. Look for ways to support. Ways that you can encourage. Go to these websites. They'll give you opportunities to support. You can give money. You can buy supplies. You can get videos. You can get books. One of the things that we have done in the past. We don't do it every year. One of the things that we've done in the past is some of these Christian organizations that support the persecuted church. They sell materials that... People in the persecuted church make for their livelihood. And so they they make them available to us here in the West. We can buy them the big uh, mosaic out in the hallway out here. There's a note by that's by the front door. It's a beautiful thing done by eggshells by somebody in Vietnam. That was a Christmas gift for me. And I was very thankful for it because it's, it's very beautifully done. But also knowing that the money that was spent was going to help someone who is persecuted for the cause of Christ. Who needs to make a livelihood. They're being supported. There, there are those places that do that. Micro enterprises they are called. So you can look at that and say, I'm not going to find any bargains in here. This stuff's expensive. Consider it a donation. Be thankful you get anything back. Good grief. What a, who cares if you're getting a bargain or not? You know. If nothing else, you've got a reminder. I've got on my computer at home, on the, well, it's the old computer screen now, but it says, I pray for the persecuted church. These stickers we got here four or five years ago. Pray for the persecuted church. Be informed. Look for ways to be informed. Remember Jesus' witnesses. And finally, remember Jesus' work. Very quickly to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
Second Timothy chapter two verse eight is where we're going to where we're going to be land because there's the word again. Second Timothy chapter two verse eight. Remember. Remember Jesus' work. The reality is that we forget the glorious nature of the gospel through Jesus' work so easily. And Paul writes this letter to Timothy as one who has and is in fact, as he writes this letter, imprisoned, suffered for the gospel. And in fact, in this letter he speaks freely of his suffering, of his hardships, and his service of Christ for the gospel begins in, in chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. He's talking about he's in prison. It's not figurative. His prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. In verse 12 of the same chapter. For this reason, I also suffer these things. I am not ashamed for I know whom I believe and am convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Chapter 2, verse 3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 11. Back up to verse 10. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. Such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystria. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. And then chapter 4, verse 5. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. In chapter 4, verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. You get nothing else from Paul's letter to Timothy. You get, you get very clear. Paul wants Timothy to be prepared for suffering and hardship and persecution for the cause of the gospel. Just as he has endured. He's not, he's not sugarcoating this thing for Timothy. There's a hardship involved in following Jesus Christ. There is a hardship involved in the ministry as a preacher and a pastor of Jesus Christ. So... Having exhorted Timothy to suffer hardship in chapter 2, verse 3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ. Here he cites three models. One is the soldier. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. So that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And then the second model is verse 5. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And here he's not speaking about the rules that you must abide by in the race. He's talking about those things that are necessary for you to do to prepare for the race. The discipline that is required. You're not going to go out there and run a marathon if you've never run more than 50 feet. The rules for running a marathon, the unspoken rule is you train. You give yourself to the hardship, to the trudgery of it all. And then he goes on, he cites the third model in verse 6, the hard-working farmer. 
ought to be the first to receive the share of his crops. He there cites these examples, these models to Timothy of those who give themselves to hardship and to hard work, each suffering hardship with a goal that is set before him. And then he says on that, verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. What's he saying here? Remember Jesus Christ. Why? Jesus Christ is the one who is fit to be the redeemer of men. He is the center point of the gospel. There is no gospel message apart from the person of Jesus Christ. But he states here, look at back at the phrasing that he uses there. Risen from the dead, a descendant of David, according to my gospel. Why does he say that? He's first of all qualified in his humanity as a descendant of David. That was a requirement. From the Old Testament scriptures that he would be one who is from from the from David's lineage. But he is also qualified by his divine power, as was evidenced by the resurrection. So it says there, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, descendant of David. Here are the two things that qualify him, his divinity and his humanity. Remember him. This one who is fit to be the redeemer of of men, and it is for this gospel. It is for this gospel of Jesus Christ, this gospel of the person and the work of Jesus Christ that Paul is willing to suffer and endure all things because he remembers Jesus Christ, he remembers what he has done, and he and he just comes to the con- With his confession here, that's all the reason that I need to be willing to suffer. Because this one, this gospel, is worth it. It is. Paul is willing to suffer in order that he might see the fruit of Jesus' redemptive work. Verse 10, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. This is why I suffer, because I remember Jesus Christ. I remember the person, the work. I remember this gospel. I remember the reason that Jesus has come. He has come to redeem His people. And so I will suffer in proclaiming that gospel, because that's what I want to see take place. I want to see Jesus' work fulfilled. Salvation wrought in the hearts of His chosen. And it's worth it. Fulfilling Jesus' purpose. Why did He come? Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. And they are sought and they are found by gospel proclamation. Proclaiming Jesus Christ. Remembering Jesus' work, knowing that there are some, His chosen, who will indeed 
be saved. It is not a vain activity to go out and to proclaim the gospel just because many, perhaps most, will not respond. The glory is that some will because God is working in the hearts of His chosen. There's the reason we proclaim the gospel. Get your eyes off the suffering. Get your eyes on the Lord. Get your eyes on the glory of what transpires in the hearts of men and women when the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. Remember Jesus Christ. That men, women, children are actually delivered from destruction and brought to an eternal glory. So as Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. Tell it to you. you remember Jesus Christ because this is your message. This is the power of God unto salvation. Remember Him. Remember who He is. The one who is risen from the dead is in His divinity. The one who is a descendant of David in His humanity. According to my gospel. And I suffer hardship even willing to be in prison as though I were a criminal. But the Word of God is not in prison. And this is the reason I'll endure it. For the sake of those who are chosen. God is going to save some. As I proclaim Christ. That's enough for me. He's worth it. Is not the gospel of Jesus Christ sufficient? Is that a not sufficient reason? Remember his work. He's come. Remember the purpose of his incarnation. Remember the purpose of his life. Remember the purpose of his suffering. Remember the purpose of his dying. Remember the purpose of his resurrection. It's not all vain activity. That which is part of God's design. Remember Jesus. So that is where I would encourage us today, dear, dear saints. Let's not be surprised. Remember the warnings of Jesus. They persecuted him. They hated him. They hate us. Remember the witnesses to be those who are praying for those who suffer, whose suffering is greater than our own. And remember Jesus Christ, his work. Remember this gospel being proclaimed is the means that God has ordained to save men. And he does it. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? By the mere proclaiming of words, the heart of an individual can be transformed by the Spirit of God. That's His way that He's given to us. Let us be those in light of persecution who remember these things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do give thanks to You for Your mercies to us. And Father, so often we forget, so quickly to forget. Somehow or another, we'd like to think that persecution may not be our lot. So often we become so self-focused and self-centered that we forget of those who suffer so greatly for the cause of Christ. And sometimes we forget that it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. So Lord, help us to remember these things. And to, to walk daily in obedience to you as we properly respond to what we've heard. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.